Today's podcast is brought to you by The Alchemist Lab. The Alchemist Lab offer pharmacy-formulated products with over 50 years of combined experience in the business. All of their products are pharmacist-formulated and manufactured in their South Australian laboratory. Their products are also ethically tested, naturally sourced, and 100% Australian-made. Make sure you go to www.thealchemistlab.net.au to check out their wide variety of products, including magnesium creams, oils, bath salts, skin ointments, and much more. Guys, I've used their magnesium creams and oils myself for recovery and to prevent muscle cramps. They're great. The bath salts as well, if you're cutting weight or you know need to relax after a long week of training. Um, skin ointments, if I've had any you know thing pop up, training jiu-jitsu and things like that. All great stuff. Couldn't recommend it enough. Uh, so make sure you check out their Instagram page by going to the handle in my bio and shoot them a DM if you have any questions. Oh yes, it is the Gingerbeard Fightcast. We're back. I'm your host Tommy, and we're here with episode nine of the podcast. Up in your eardrums, that audio on this lovely Thursday afternoon. Just on my uh, lunch break at work, and thought, bugger it, let's put out another podcast. Hey, eh? let's chat about some of the stuff that's been going on during the week, some of the fights coming up on the weekend, yada yada, all that good stuff. Just churning out content like a motherfucker midweek. So what I thought we'd do today, guys, I thought we'd take a look at some of the fights coming up on the weekend, preview a couple of those. Then I thought maybe we'll flick through some of the news that's been going on in combat sports during the week, give a couple of my shit takes on those. And then I thought maybe we'll take a couple of listener questions, which are put out on Instagram during the week as well. So first and foremost, let's look at the fights for the weekend coming up. Let's just be straight up. Let's look at the UFC and what they're putting out this weekend. Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. Let's just be straight up and say that this card is diggity, diggity, dog shit, right? Hall and Strickland as the main event. I mean, a big Uriah Hall fan. Um, you know, coming off his uh, big win, TKO win or KO win, I believe it was, against Anderson Silva. I believe that was his last fight in the main event spot. Up against Sean Strickland. I can't imagine how many people are going to be tuning into this one. I mean, you'll always have your fans that are more fans of the UFC rather than the actual fighters themselves. Um, yeah, so I look at Uriah Hall, obviously very dynamic. You know, kickboxer in the past has been very hit and miss um, in terms of mentality. You know, obviously you look at the guy and he's got all the physical gifts and in times past he's... The criticism of him was that he couldn't rise to the occasion. Uh, but uh, since moving to Team Fortis MMA, I believe he's at now, uh, he's had a bit of a, a mental resurgence and a career resurgence as a result. And yeah, from all accounts, he seems to have everything together, together mentally, I should say. And um, yeah, he's really putting together a bit of a run. So it'd be nice to see him do well. You know, if you remember back to when your eye hall was on tough, you know, he was just destroying people. Uh, you know, that very famous spinning back kick. Um, he fought a, a guy from New Zealand, Dylan Andrews, I believe his name was, and he actually elbowed him from bottom full guard and rocked him and swept him over and finished him. Finished one other fella in about you know less than 20 seconds or so. So, And people were straight up saying, geez, like I want to see this guy fight for the title, almost, you know, coming off the show, just assuming he would win. But you know, as we know, he eventually came up against uh, Kelvin Gastelum. Obviously, very 
uh, accomplished and, you know, tremendous middleweight fighter in his own right. And, you know, Uriah always had ups and downs since then. You know, he's had some bad losses. He's had some good wins, like his, you know, jump-spinning back kick to Gegard Musasi, probably being the, uh, you know, key victory among his big wins. But it'll be a good opportunity for him to, you know, get the win in a main event spot as, uh, you know, more of the A-side, I suppose you could say. Strickland, I'm going to be straight up. I don't know too much about him. Um, yeah, most of my listeners probably know about Sean Strickland from that uh, viral video with Orlando Sanchez that went around. You know, when uh, Orlando Sanchez uh, cranked his arm when they were in the clinch uh, and Sean Strickland, you know, flipped out and, you know, tried to sp- like spin back fist him when they were grappling, that sort of thing. So if I were Sean Strickland, actually, I would probably be thankful to Orlando Sanchez. You know, Big O really put him on the map with that viral video, if you think about it. So, yeah, other than that on this card, nothing too much to write home about. you got uh, Honey Yaya, you know, very good grappler. Uh, don't mind watching him every now and then. Uh, you've got uh, Brian Barberino. He always puts on some pretty wild fights as well. Yeah, Nico Montano, you know, one time. I believe she was the flyweight champ at some point, but, you know, one of the, uh, you know, least remembered because I don't believe that she wanted to fight Shevchenko or she had something going on and pulled out. Anyway, very, very, very ordinary card. And probably the reason for that is they're going head-to-head with Bellator on Sunday. A lot of times Bellator uh, in Australia will broadcast on the Saturday, obviously because they don't want to go head-to-head with UFC, but this time Bellator have actually got a much better card. So let's get into that and have a bit of a look at that. So in the main event, you've got uh, Patricio pitbull Freire versus AJ McKee. Uh, being billed as the, the best or biggest uh, fight in Bellator history. In terms of biggest, you know, in terms of uh, box office attractions, you know, it's going to be tough to beat some of those freak show fights that they had Kimbo Slice in and that sort of stuff years ago. But in terms of technical skill, hard to argue that uh, this isn't the the most the, the best fight in uh, Bellator history. So let's have a look at both guys. Uh, Pitbull, you know, as the champ, you know, has been the champ oh, for quite a run now. Uh, won the featherweight title against Daniel Strauss back in 2017 and... Hasn't lost since then. You know, he's been finishing guys, um, knocking guys out. Obviously, we saw him go up to lightweight and knock Michael Chandler out as well. You could argue that that was a bit of a premature stoppage, but, you know, it's a tough one when a guy gets, you know, dropped hard and then turtles and, you know, sits there for a couple of seconds when you're hammering punches, you know, and then obviously when the ref pulls you off, you know, and you turn at the same time, you know, obviously it's going to be a bit of controversy there, but... You could argue either way if it was an early stoppage. You know, Chandler hasn't really protested that one too much. So anyway, um, yeah, basically since his, the last loss that Pitbull had was that uh, leg, weird leg injury that he had against Benson Henderson where it came out that he had a broken leg and he just sort of waved the fight off by himself. Uh, you know, he just knew by the sounds of it that he, that he couldn't go on. Um. Yeah, Pitbull, really well-rounded guy. You know, we've seen he's obviously can crack. He's got a really nice, tight, straight right hand down the pipe. But, you know, sometimes he'll loop as an overhand if he needs to. Um, trains with uh, Captain Eric Albaracin, one of the, the more colourful characters in combat sports. Uh, obviously, you know, was a training partner of Henry Cejudo as well and works with the, the same striking coach, I believe. So 
can sometimes use some of that uh, bouncing in and out style movement as well. You know, uh, often he's a little more flat-footed than what Cejudo was, but uh, yeah, he's very good on the feet and on the ground as well. Got a super tight guillotine that we saw him submit to Emmanuel Sanchez and Daniel Strauss with as well. So yeah, very well-rounded fighter, uh, dominant champion, um, you hear talk about him being the best fighter in uh, you know Bellator history. Once again, that's hard to argue. But coming up against AJ McKee this weekend, the son of uh, famous fighter Antonio McKee. Um, McKee, uh, undefeated still, I believe. Hasn't uh, tasted defeat yet. Very dynamic fighter. You know, we've seen in his fights in Bellator that he's, you know, just got this super dynamic ground game. You know, we saw in his fight against Derek Campos that he was able to, in each of the three rounds, get to some very dominant positions. You know, in the first round, he took the back and almost had a rear naked in, but was over the chin a little bit. But he just took the back so quickly. In the second round, you know, we saw him uh, pass Campos' guard and end up in like a front headlock Das style position, uh, which he almost had as well. He actually pulled guard in that fight too. They were having some wild exchanges on the feet and... Uh, we actually saw that um, Mickey actually sat to his butt and then let uh, Campos come at his guard as well. So obviously very confident on top and on bottom as well. And in that fight as well, he actually finished it with this really slick armbar that came on super quick. He was passing uh, Campos's guard, I believe, and uh, Campos turtled uh, to, to try and stand up. And uh, McKee tried to jump on the back and he sort of slipped off the top, but, you know, cinched up. The oh, I think it was a triangle that he cinched up from the back, but he sort of used it to crank the armbar, and he got the tap, and really quick, came out of nowhere. If you looked away for a second, you could have missed it. And we also saw in the Darren Caldwell match as well, got the uh, the famous McKeatine, he calls it, the neck crank from the guard. Um, I believe that uh, it basically is the 100% neck crank, which I believe that was named by... Eddie Bravo, and is made famous by the 10th Planet System. Basically, it's uh, instead of reaching around and guillotining, you actually reach over your opponent's head and then under their armpit, you lock up a grip and then crank the neck down. Um, often you end up turning the guy over and finishing it from the top. But what McKee did, he actually, you know, took the hand, his arm, sorry, over the back of the neck and under the armpit. And because he's got such long arms, he locked up like a Das rear naked strangle type grip. Uh, and then was able to finish the neck crank from full guard. And that was wild. So, yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see the grappling exchanges between him and Pitbull, if he can get it to the ground. His striking is very, very wild. He uh, really does throw with a you know pretty reckless abandon a lot of the time. He did drop Derek Campos with a, a jab, and he can throw a nice one-two straight down the pipe. But a lot of the times in the striking exchanges, you will see his chin lift a little bit, and he will swing wild. Um, being a, a long athletic guy, he can throw kicks and things like that from, you know, range and often not get punished for it just due to his reach. So it's going to be a dangerous game to play on the feet with Pitbull, though. You know, as we've, we've seen that Pitbull, you know, he can just connect once and then that's it. So it's going to be a dangerous game to play. Obviously, if you're McKee, I think it would be best for him to try and get the fight to the ground. Um, you know, whether he, you know, tries to take him down or whether he, you know, pulls guard or something like that, like a, you know, Damian Meyer style, like he used to, you know, almost pull the half guard and wrestle up from there. 
I'm going to be really interested to see how that one goes anyway. But yeah, that's a tremendous fight. I'm really keen to see that one. Uh, other fights on that card, you've got Emmanuel Sanchez versus Mads Bunnell. Sanchez has been in uh, Bellator for a while, and Mads Bunnell has you know, really made his way up on the uh, European and UK scene as well. Uh, I believe in Cage Warriors he had, uh, did a lot of fighting. Got a really interesting style as well. and uh, Yeah, yeah, I'll be keen to see that one as well. You've got Usman Nurmagomedov. I uh, believe he's Khabib's cousin, so it'll be you know cool to see him. I'm sure that Bellator are just going to feed him absolute tomato cans uh, to build him up for a little while. And fair enough, you know, if you want to sign you know big names and talented guys early in their careers, you need to give them commensurate fights as well. You know, you don't want to have like the Aaron Pico experiment where you know guys are having their first and second pro fight, and you're just giving them guys who are way way more experienced than them. And whether those guys are journeymen or not. Experience does count for something. So you need to, you know, keep these guys commensurate challenges. And just remember, just because they're signed to a, a bigger promotion early doesn't mean that they need to be fighting the top guys early. Uh, you got Brent, Brent Primus as well, one time. Uh, Bellator lightweight champ after he uh, landed those calf kicks on Chandler, that famous fight. Uh, Goichi Yamauchi as well, another good grappler. Uh, I believe this one's at a, a catchweight and not a lightweight instead. But yeah. Uh, yeah, tremendous uh, card, main card anyway for Bellator. Um, way, way better than the UFC's cards. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I know which one I'll be watching on the Sunday. Uh, realistically, I'll probably have one on the, the TV and one on my phone. But, yeah, super keen for that one. And uh, another one as well, you know, uh, one championship, I believe, uh, have a card on Friday. Uh, I, I must admit, even if there's never huge names on the one cards, I like tuning in. Uh, I must admit, I love watching the, the Muay Thai fights in the small gloves and in the cage as well. Yeah, it's super cool. And I believe one actually at the moment are doing like pre-recorded shows. Like I know this week they had a massive, massive Muay Thai fight between Sitachai, uh, Sitsung Pinong and Tawan Chai. Uh, Tawan Chai probably, well, he might be pound for pound best Muay Thai fighter in the world. Certainly in the last couple of years he has been, but he's definitely in that discussion. Uh, I know they fought this week, um, maybe might even be today or tomorrow that they're fighting, but they're not broadcasting it until August the 27th or something like that. So a little bit of sweet because <laughs> I don't want to wait until then, but at least I know that the fight's going to happen and that, you know, COVID or anything like that can't ruin it before it comes up. So yeah, interesting take from one championship. Uh, hopefully they can keep some of those results secret. Uh, you've got Sam A, uh, Muay Thai legend, uh, fighting in the main event uh, against Progenchai. Uh, for, who fights out of Sanchez Muay Thai gym in Bangkok. Um, yeah, um, obviously Sam A is a, a legend of the sport, super technical fighter, and I must admit I don't know too much about uh, Prajan Chai, but anytime there's skill ties fighting in the small gloves, I'll tune in. You've got in the co-main event, Ang La Sang, uh, former middleweight and light heavyweight uh, champ as well. Um, lost both titles to the same fella. I must admit I forget the name. Uh, so he's... Uh, yeah, in his first uh, comeback fight from those two losses. And nothing much else on that card. You've got Victoria Lee, who's Angela and Christian Lee's sister, who's fighting in the opening fight of the night. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the talent runs in the family there. But, yes, that's all the fights that we've really got coming up this weekend. There's no um, big jiu-jitsu or boxing as far as I'm aware. So, yeah. Keen to watch those and might even break them down afterwards or have a chat about the uh, big fights and results next week. 
But for now, let's jump into some of the week's news and notes. So probably the week's biggest fight announcement uh, was the rematch for the welterweight title between Kamara Usman and Colby Covington. And I believe it's booked for later this year at UFC 268, which I don't think has an arena or date, I don't believe. But UFC 268, I believe it is. Uh, They're going to do the rematch, which has drawn a lot of criticism um, from the MMA hardcores anyway. Look, I'm sure that they're, you know, going to be people who are keen for this. But me personally, man, I couldn't give a fuck about seeing Usman fight Covington again. Um, Look, I personally, I think it's time to give Leon Edwards the shot. Uh, I know that, you know, Dana White really loves that uh, first Usman Covington fight. And for whatever reason, people seem to believe that uh, Covington's a draw, which is just factually inaccurate. If you look at his, you know, social media followers, versus, you know, Wonder Boys uh, and things like that. I put a post up about it. Wonder Boy, who's the nice guy, has got way more followers than Colby, who just talks this, you know, talks this trash and stuff like that. But the gimmick's up now. You know, Trump's out of office. The the, the jig is up. You know, move on. Change the stick, for goodness sakes. Um, probably what drew the most criticism for this fight was the fact that, you know, Covington, since that fight against Susan, has only won one fight. And it was was against a Tyron Woodley who was on a two-fight, 10-round losing streak, you know. And yes, he did finish him in the last round. I believe it was with a rib injury with some shots to the body on the ground and things like that. But, you know, Woodley was well past it by that point. So uh, there's just no way that, you know, a win over him should earn you the title shot. But in fairness, you can say, well, Leon Edwards, you know, beating up, uh, you know, Nate Diaz in a five-round uh, fight, you know, doesn't necessarily warrant a shot either. Yes, but his overall body of work warrants a, a title shot, you know. You have to feel for Leon Edwards. It definitely, he digs holes for himself as well. You know, I thought throughout a lot of 2020 that his whinging and whining and things like that, he didn't do himself any favours, not taking fights. He should have taken a fight with Wonderboy when they offered it to him. I think if he'd won that, yeah, I think he probably would have won that. You know, he could have got a title shot off that, but he didn't. But you got to think, he was meant to fight Tyron Woodley when Gilbert Burns did, and they had to cancel that event in the UK. And you've got to think now that if, if that fight went ahead, he would have beat the piss out of Woodley. So, and that would have propelled him to a title shot, I suppose. So you've got to feel for the lad, you know. So, you know, coming to Usman, I definitely think Usman's going to, you know, win that one. You just look at the technical progression, progression sorry, of Usman on the feet and his cardio and his grappling, I just think he's going to be too much for Covington. You know, I didn't see in that Woodley fight Covington do anything that, you know, that was different or anything like that. It's hard to know because he hasn't been in there much either as well, and he's, you know, no longer at uh, American top team. I'm not exactly sure where he is now. He might be down. He's down in Miami somewhere. Um, if, uh, not fight sports. I, f- uh, I forget the gym now. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I think Usman will win that. Hopefully they can just get that out of the way and then hopefully they can, you know, turn him around and get him to fight Edwards. I'll be interested to see if Edwards takes another fight or not. Uh, also in the news this week, uh, in some jiu-jitsu news, the Danaher Death Squad have announced that they're splitting up and going their separate ways. So that was a really big shock out of the blue piece of news that popped up. 
Uh, still a lot of questions to be answered just yet and a lot to come out, I'm sure. But uh, as at today, what we do know is that uh, Gordon Ryan, Danaher and Gary Tonin, by the looks of it, are setting up the, their new wave jiu-jitsu gym in Austin, Texas. And we also saw that uh, Craig Jones confirmed earlier in the week that him, uh, Nicky Rod, Nicky Ryan and Ethan Crellenston are going to be training together as well. So, um, I, yeah, leaves me curious as to what the split was actually over. Um, yeah, it sounds like it was a combination of factors. Um, I saw that when Nicky Rod posted something on Instagram, um, someone asked him whose who's gym it was going to be or who was you know running the gym out of the four of them, and he just put an equal sign, uh, like, you know, such plus such equals whatever. So maybe it was something to do with money or something like that. Maybe Gordon wanted to have more of a cut or John or you know, whoever wanted to have more of a cut than the others, and maybe that factored into it as well. Um, Craig also tagged his location when he said they were training together as Austin. So whether you know both camps, if you want to call them camps now, set up two separate gyms in Austin, Texas, and who knows, maybe they still train together and or cross train us if you want to call it I suppose if they're in different gyms and things like that uh, and you know if they're all still under John you know who knows it's all gonna come out in the wash isn't it but man it's crazy um it was cool to see that uh John you know gave Eddie Cummings his shout out when he announced it as well you know it was a you don't want to call it a bit of split but you know you, I don't think it was a tremendously um nice split when he left uh, Henzo Gracie and went to Unity. I don't think Eddie Cummings actually trains anymore at all now. Um, so I saw somewhere that he didn't train at all. But it was cool to see him get his shout out too because he, you know, is one of the best leg lockers in history. And, you know, you, you hear people say a lot of the time that he was a real innovator with the leg lock system as much as Danaher was. So, you know, it was cool to see him get his shout out. But yeah, it's a bummer that they're going to break up, man. You'd be spewing if you're flow grappling and you're just, uh, you know, producing this whole show about how they're moving down to Puerto Rico. And they're like, nah, we're going to move to Austin now. So I thought that was a little bit funny. But yeah, you know, look, man, you don't want to overstate it. You don't want to, you know, suck suck the dicks or anything. But, you know, down here in that original squad, they really did change the way people looked at no-gear grappling and submission grappling and really sort of did uh, change probably the direction of the sport of jiu-jitsu as a whole, you know. A lot of people really leaning towards that uh, no-gear sub-only ADCC style of um, competition and training now, you know, and, you know, it seems as though that, you know, the RBJJF comps are becoming, you know, less and less important. So anyway, we're keen to see how that uh, shakes out anyway. A bit of a funny one. Uh, at the BKFC event on the weekend, there was an altercation between uh, Hector Lombard and Tyron Woodley. First of all, Hector Lombard looked fucking massive. I, I hate to think... The amount of uh, Cuban supplements he's on. My goodness, he was fucking huge. And he was going off at Woodley uh, about, you know, some uh, history. You know, by the sounds of it, he was talking about something to do with a female or something like that. And I think he posted on something on Instagram that, you know, he was, you know, Woodley was ratting him out to a female or something like that. It had something to do with messing in a relationship. And tell you what, yeah, Lombard is fucking pissed and in this video 
I'm not a body language expert, but Tyron Woodley looked fucking terrified. Go and look up the video on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. Woodley looks fucking terrified. He looks like he wants none of that smoke. And I don't blame him, man. Hector Lombard's about that life. So I would be very, very interested to see that if this Jake Paul boxing match that Woodley has scheduled, if that doesn't go well and he loses that one, which who knows, he might. Would he go to BKFC and have a bare knuckle fight with Hector Lombard? That might be the muscliest fight of all time. First of all, you've got both guys. First of all, Tyron Woodley and Hector Lombard. When they're in the UFC, they might have had the best asses in the UFC, male or female, right? And that's just, that's fact. That That's very much factual or hotly debated, right? Just two jacked, nuggety dudes just slanging fists. I would love to see that in BKFC. You know, I get it, BKFC put on some shit fights, but you tell me you wouldn't watch that? Man, I'd watch that. And what else? The Olympics is on. You know, I've been watching the Olympics since it started over the weekend. I'll tell you what, I've been watching some of the judo. And let me tell you, sometimes you talk to judo guys and they, you know, sort of uh, scoff at jiu-jitsu with the guard pulling and, you know, well, you know, you know, with our groundwork, you know, we really have to force the submission and, you know, we don't have the, you know, we don't have the time to set it up like you guys do. So we really have to force it and that sort of stuff. I don't think that judo can shit on jiu-jitsu anymore because if you watch the judo, right, first of all, they're all just so good that they cancel each other out. You barely see any fucking throws. And when anyone's about to get a throw, whoever's about to get thrown just flops to their belly like a fish and just deadpans it, right? It's crazy. And then all of a sudden there's a stalemate and they have to stand them up. Oh, my God. I thought I was going to really enjoy it, but it, for the most part, there are exceptions to it, but it's boring as batshit. And I get it. Look, sometimes there are some IBJJF black belt world finals that will put you to sleep as well, but I tell you what, I don't think judo, judo can take the moral high ground anymore. Obviously, when you're looking at sport judo and sport jiu-jitsu, there are always going to be technicalities of the rules. You know, People are going to take advantage of the rules and flop their belly because it avoids them getting ipponed or whatever. But if you're a judoka, let's stop taking the moral high ground now. Hey? I mean, that's just a fucking embarrassment. That's like diving in soccer, you know? I'll tell you what as well, this uh, Simone Biles shit, it's wild, man. I posted about it the other day on my own personal account, that it's crazy. When someone gets physically injured, like they do an ACL or something, you know, people feel sorry for them and it's horrible luck and they get all this sympathy and it's heartbreaking. And a lot of times that's very, you know, much deserved. You know, a lot of that is out of your control. But your own physical preparation is also very much within your own control as well. If you're overtraining or undertraining or not doing the proper rehab and things like that, that can come into it as well. But sometimes, you're right, you do just get unlucky. But when someone has, I was trying to think of the right word, a, a mental shortfall or, or deficiency is not the right word or a shortcoming or, or an inhibition, you know, psychologically, they're never afforded the same opportunity. It's always, this person's soft, this person's weak, which is hilarious that people are going to say that any sort of Olympians are weak. The mental fortitude that those guys have to go through to get up in the morning and do the amount of training they do. You know, a lot of them, you know, they're not getting fucking paid. Now, I suppose, you know, people like Simone Biles, who is one of the most famous Olympians, I'm sure that, you know, they can earn a living. Guys like Jordan Burroughs, things like that. But 
the amount of sh- shit they have to go through to get an opportunity once every four years. It's not a, a, a world title that you can just do once every year, you know, or so. Or even ADCC, once every two years. Once every four years they get this opportunity. And to think that they're just just soft and weak and that they want to just throw that opportunity away, man, you're just not thinking about it in the big picture. And I get it. It's hard. If you don't go through any sort of mental health or anxiety stuff, which I don't, I'll be the first to say I don't understand it because I don't go through any depression or things like that. But I do suffer competition anxiety and I really do get nervous about competing and I get in my own head. So I can only imagine if you had other mental health stuff going on, it'd be a fucking nightmare. And first of all, if you want to say anything about, you know, soft or whatever like that, Go onto Netflix and watch, I believe it's Athlete A. Athlete A, I believe it is, it goes into the whole USA Gymnastics scandal with that doctor, right? You've got to think that there are so many athletes who at that Olympics who have gone through shit with that fucking doctor. And you can imagine they've had to sign NDAs and all this shit. Go and watch Athlete A and come back and tell me that those guys are soft, it's fucked up, man. It's cooked. If if anything, I've probably seen in my own personal circle people praising Simone Biles being brave enough to withdraw from an event. You know, that's a you know you're going to get criticised with that stuff, right? And it's hard with mental health stuff as well. It's hard because we live in a society now where you really get in a lot of trouble and you feel like you can't comment on anything to do with mental health. If someone hurts their knee you know, you're a sports reporter or, you know, shock jock or whatever, you feel like you can put your opinion out there. But when it comes down to mental health and things like that, there's really, we're in an age now where you can't comment on it, which I don't think is right either. I think there should be a level of being able to comment on, uh, you know, the psychological aspect of sports. But let's find a middle ground. Let's not call people soft and weak and, you know, things like that. Let's find a middle ground where we can say, okay, could such and such as mental preparation have been better? I don't fucking know. I'm not a psychologist or a doctor or anything like that. But as much as I don't think we should kick people for stuff that realistically we don't know enough about, I don't think it should be off limits either, you know? We still know so little about mental and psychological health because it's not like a knee where you can just look at an MRI and go, yeah, the ACL's torn. We can't do any sort of test as far as I'm aware where you can look at it and go, yeah, see, there, there you go. She's suffering anxiety. Look at that scan. It's cooked. You've got no fucking idea. All right? Anyway, that's my rant. If you think that, you know, Simone Biles is soft or whatever, do just quickly do me a favor. Um, if you're following the page on Instagram, unfollow this page. Delete me on Facebook. Do whatever. Lose my number because... I haven't personally spoken to anyone who thinks that Simone Biles is soft, but if you go and look at the fucking the comments and stuff like that on Twitter and Insta and Facebook, man, there are some toxic people out there, you know, people who have never put themselves out there for anything risky in life. So anyway, there's my fucking rant on that. Speaking of toxic people, <laughs> the last bit of news is McGregor's tweets, Conor McGregor's tweets from earlier this week. Uh, we're sending out a couple of different tweets about, you know, spit shining the belt and things like that. But the one that really caught people's attention was when he made a tweet in reference to Khabib's dad. So uh, after the fight with Dustin Poirier, uh, Khabib tweeted out something along the lines of good always defeats evil. 
And then, you know, however many weeks after the fight now, McGregor tweets, uh, so uh, COVID is good and father is evil. Obviously in reference to COVID killing Khabib's father. Now, I don't, I don't need to go too far into this because I don't need me to tell you how, you know, vile and, you know, uh, you know, unnecessary this is, right? Once again, if you if you uh, follow this or are listening to this and you think, oh man, McGregor zinged him, please just turn the podcast off and unsubscribe on Spotify, wherever you're listening. Like, I don't need you listening to this, right? It's, it's shit. And the crazy thing is there are people out there, there is a section of McGregor's fan base, what's left of it, who think that this shit's cool. Oh man, he's a fucking Don. You know, he's bought a Lamborghini boat. Who gives a fuck, man? Who gives a fuck? At the end of the day, it's not this stuff isn't fun anymore. You know, there used to be a charm to the trash talk and the shit he used to talk. You know, even on that world tour with Jose Aldo and, you know, he's sort of really pushing that line. You know, he said, if it was another time, I'd ride into his favela on horseback. That, that sort of stuff was, it was a little bit funny. At the time, it was a little bit endearing the shit he talked. But, you know, when he went into that Khabib fight and things like that that just really showed his worst side and uh, who knows if that those two fights where he was the nice guy if there was any legit uh side of his personality to that at all you know my personal opinion is um his manager probably told him that he had to put on more of a presentable act while he was the owner of a whiskey company which he then sold and then we consequently saw him behave the way he did going into the Poirier trilogy fight. I don't know, for whatever it's worth. Also, I tagged Audiatar McGregor's manager in uh, in a post this week with McGregor's tweet and said, you know, Audiatar, do you know, take your man's phone away. And he actually saw it. I looked on Instagram and he saw it. And then, you know, maybe however many minutes later, the tweet was gone. So there you go. I, I'm going to claim that anyway. I'm sure probably a million people tagged him and shit like that. But I'm, I'm going to claim that. So yeah. I don't need to say anything more about that. It's disgusting. It's whatever. I'm just going to be curious, you know, if he fights again, if he's going to lean into this sort of mentally unhinged thing more. You know, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's an act or not, or if it's him, you know, legitimately having like a Mike Tyson meltdown. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he leans into this sort of stuff more. And at what point does he become unpromotable starting to say these things as well? All right, that's the news and notes for the week, guys. So to finish off today, I thought we'll go to a couple of fan, I don't know, fan questions. We'll go listen to questions. You know, it's, it feels dumb to say fans. We'll go listen to questions. First one, how do you keep pet fur off the gee? Ha, <laughs> that's funny. Well, first of all, for the listeners who don't know, I've got a greyhound and a cat. With greyhounds, easy, because they've barely got any fur. And I don't let him on the mats at home. But with cats, cats do not give a fuck. If I leave my dry washing in the basket downstairs or something like that, that little bastard will jump and sleep in there to his bloody heart's content. So trick is just don't let him anywhere near the gi. Also, you know, you could say don't train in the gi either. That's another one as well. I want to slowly start transitioning away from the gi, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah. Good question. It's, it's tough with cats because they don't give a fuck where they sit. It's almost when they find out where you don't want them to sit, that's where they want to sit. Little bastards. Uh, all right, second question. Uh, pound for pound goat. Hmm. 
I'm assuming we're talking about MMA. Oh, look, it's hard to go past John Jones, isn't it, really? I mean, we did have that hot minute there where people were saying, you know, is Khabib the greatest after that Gaethje fight? Yeah, which was one of those recency bias kind of things. But you look at the resume that Jones has got, even when there was the debate between him and Mighty Mouse, you know, because you had Mighty, uh, buddy, sorry, not Mighty, you had Joe Rogan on his podcast every other week saying that he thought Mighty Mouse was the best, you know, and you had, you know, people giving these smooth brain takes about how he's beaten this awesome level of competition, which he hadn't. But yes, sure, Jones, some of the legends he beat, were they on the back end of their prime? Yes, absolutely. But that's the way it works. Did he beat people in their prime? Absolutely. He beat Daniel Cormier, what, you know, while he was, you know, still at the top of his game. And, you know, did he beat some of the next generation as well? I mean, sure, you can argue that he barely beat Santos or Reyes, but still, it is what it is. It'll be interesting to see when he comes back to see what he's like at heavyweight, if he can get away, maybe in a division where he can be a little bit slower. That's if he fights again. I'm sure he will fight again. You know, the UFC's not dumb. You know, they know that the uh, the fight to make is him heavyweight. Uh, all right, and lastly, where would you train if you could train anywhere in the world? That's a good question. Um, I'm probably going to ask this a little bit differently from what a lot of people would, you know. Oh, but it's going to be different if you're, you know, a serious competitor or if you're someone like myself who's just an average Joe, right? Like I'm just a, a just a regular old purple belt who's done, you know, a little bit of striking before and's had one Muay Thai fight. So I'm no one special. So for me, I would probably want to go train at some places where I can learn the most. Uh, so as an example, let's look at jiu-jitsu. And as much as a dick as Gordon Ryan can be on Instagram and all that sort of stuff, it's hard to argue that the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You watch his instructionals. You know, I probably do prefer watching his instructionals to Danaher's because Danaher can waffle a little bit. But, you know, um, Gordon sort of gets straight to the point a little bit more. Um, and, you know, the narrated rolling and stuff like that is good to watch as well. The guy really does know what he's talking about. I'll be interested to see some of the level of competitors that start coming out of his gym when he opens up. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, somewhere like that. Um, even somewhere like Legion as well, Keenan's gym. Being as you know, worm and squid guard uh, obsessed as I am, that would be cool to train at as well. In terms of MMA, you know, um, somewhere like even Trevor Whitman's gym in the US, I reckon that'd be a sick place to train because he really does seem to know. Obviously, he knows what he's talking about. But if you look at the athletes that he produces, like Gaethje and Usman and Rose Namajunas, not just the the way what he's produced, but the technical turnaround in their games, you know. Um, I've actually got his instructional sitting ready to watch, and I do need to go through that at some point because, you know, that guy really seems to know what he's talking about. You listen to him when they bring him on the UFC broadcast as well. The guy, you know, really knowledgeable, obviously, on, on the game. So training with someone like him, I think, would be really good as well. Um, really interesting. Even somewhere like City Kickboxing, you know. Um, obviously, not all of their fighters have had as much success as what... Uh, Adesanya has but you know the word you hear is that just you know their coach is a really uh, critical thinker and really studies the game and even Adesanya himself is a real student of the game so being able to go and pick those guys brains and things like that will be a really cool experience Uh, so yeah there are the listener questions Uh, guys I think that'll be it for me today Uh, make sure uh, you follow the podcast we should be on all podcasting platforms now 
so make sure you subscribe, uh, listen in, uh, like on Instagram, share on Instagram, you know, tell your friends, tell whoever, you know, uh, we'll try and put out as much content as we can. But guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll probably uh, catch up and do another podcast, podcast uh, you know, on the weekend or early next week. But until then, I'll catch you next time.